this home. So here's my question. Do any of you teach middle school anywhere? What about, is that like eighth grade? Yeah, it couldn't be. Then you've got it. A little nepotism here, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> we, we can handle nepotism. There you go, Kathleen. There you go. That one isn't even pre-underlined, so it's... No, absolutely not. So, well, read it soon, Kathleen, and share it soon. So that's the main thing. So let's, let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much for your gift of your son so that we as believers redeemed by the cross have fellowship with you and with others that is made authentic by the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May his name be praised during this talk and in the lives that we will live as we learn how and continue to preach the gospel to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on in and sit down. Well, my gospel is personal. It's my treasure. It's beautiful. It's sacred. It's life-changing. And what a fantastic experience it was. When I thought about it, I was thankful. And I was was what? Was. There's a lot of was in there. Past tense. Is it just simply my kind of old rugged cross experience that Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me? Yes, that was done. And I have been shown mercy. In those passages in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 14 on through 20, It talks about this gospel that I have been given and I treasure. I I knew the Lord's abundant grace that had been poured out on me. I had no problem accepting that I was the sinner that Jesus came into the world to save. And I was the worst, as it says in verse 16. I was shown mercy as he displayed his unlimited, unlimited patience for me. 30 years of patience because I didn't even become a believer until I was 30 years old. So in that time, I thought, well, okay, now the next thing it's mentioned in verse 20 is it's time for me to fight the good fight. Oh, yes, I, I had grown, I had learned, I had been transformed in many ways. I, and, but I was often surprised by how difficult my Christian life was, especially relationships. It was just, I just thought my own heart wasn't exactly everything it should be. I kept being kind of surprised what was coming from my own heart. Well, then... I had a surprise. My son gave me a book, a a gift called Comforts from the Cross by Elise Fitzpatrick. It's a 
one month devotional and I did just this thing. I just put it aside because I knew the gospel. In fact, I taught the gospel. I, so there it was sitting over there someplace. But at some, some time later, and I don't even really know why except the Holy Spirit, I picked it up and I started reading it. And then I got to day number nine, and the title was Consider Him. And under that was written a verse from Hebrews, and it said this, Hebrews 12, 3, Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Did, did I consider Christ in that way? Mm, no, I didn't consider him like that. Was I enduring like Christ when shamed and or others were hostile towards me? Mm, no, no, I didn't. Usually I would pout, get bitter, something like that, but I didn't endure like Christ. The sieve line under that. Did I grow weary and just push through in my own strength? Absolutely. Because that's what I thought the good fight was. Me fighting for what I thought was good. So, yes. And yes, I did grow weary. And then D, was this passage telling me something deeper about my gospel? Definitely. And I was captured. And I continued to read and to read and to read. And the more I read, the more I realized I was missing something powerful in my life, something overlooked and certainly something underdeveloped. The gospel was to continue to be a power for change a continued grace, a continued mercy from my Redeemer for today and all days following. And next to a deeper understanding and appreciation of the sovereignty of God, nothing changed my heart, my mind, my relationships more than the biblical truth of the gospel. And so I began to realize that the gospel is powerful. And one of the reasons why the gospel is powerful is because it is based on the word of truth. There, as it says in Roman numeral 2a, typical passages used to define are many, but one that is common for what is the definition of the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now, brothers, well, wait a minute, that's believers. So it's addressing believers. I want to remind you, we need to be reminded of this gospel. I need to remind you of the gospel I have preached to you and you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. Check, I had that for sure. For what I received, I passed on to you, is of first, as in beginning, importance. Yes, 
I got that, that Christ died for our sins. Yes, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Absolutely, absolutely, those things were believed and received by me when I first believed. And my response to that was, is this the story, the gospel story, that is more than just my personal Easter, or was it something else? And so the A part was just facts that move a believer from death to life. Is that all the gospel is, as if that wasn't enough? (laughs) But how does this treasure of mine become of first importance. It began my life, but it's suggesting that I live in and out of the believers' lives now, this gospel does, today and every day. Um, As Elise, we're on first name basis now because, you know, she is just so wonderful to have taught me this personally. I just needed it for myself. But I describe it to you as she has because it has made it a reality for me that it was so much beyond that. In the B part of that, the gospel is also powerful because it is upheld by the power of God. In Romans 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1 of Romans, verses 16 and 17, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. In other words, the gospel is for the believer. First for the Jew it was given, and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel is a righteousness from God that is by faith from first, from when you first believe, until the last when you no longer need to believe because you will be with the one who brought the gospel to you, your Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say, and that's why the righteous will live by faith, live now in this life by faith, not just living by faith when we get to eternity, but now. So what is then that power of God that's mentioned there in Romans? Well, one of the many places that it's described is in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. And his incomparably great power is for us who believe. That power is like the working of mighty strength. And how is that strength described? How is that power described? That which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Whoa, gospel power just went up a notch now for me as I begin to understand. And then it goes on, it says, this gospel is for the salvation of everyone who believes. And salvation is, has basically three parts to it. First of all, Jesus, when he has saved us, he has delivered us from the penalty of sin. He delivered us from the penalty of our deserved sin. But the gospel is also the power over sin where God enables us to no longer be under sin's power. 
and his continued work in all who he has brought to faith is for this very time, this time when we're sitting right here in this room and all of our Christian lives until eventually and a day yet in the future when finally he will deliver us from the very presence of sin itself. So this is the power of God's mighty strength at work in all facets of a believer's salvation, and he exerted it in Christ. It is the power of the gospel. But the gospel is powerful also because it was granted by God and is available to us as believers through the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, before the day of Pentecost, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And in 1 Thessalonians, it goes on to say, For we know, brothers, once again, addressing us as his own, his believers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, with the Holy Spirit given to us and with deep conviction. The third point, point of this is found in Ephesians 3, 7. Paul speaks of becoming a servant of this gospel by the gift of grace given to him through the working of this power. It was the power of God that enabled Paul to be a servant and to carry the gospel, the truth, to all of the places, to all the people he did. And he reminds them that the Father then may strengthen them as believers with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So you have, as a believer, the power that raised Jesus from the dead living in you through the Holy Spirit. That power. Today, if you believe God has called you to mentor, to disciple, to counsel, or just simply to care for another person with the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. These promises are for you in that calling, as well as living a life worthy of your Savior and Redeemer. For me, Paul brings this personal gospel and this powerful gospel provided all together so clearly in Romans 15, 13 through 14. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Trust that that power is in there. He gave it to you. He promised him to you through the Holy Spirit so that you may now overflow with hope by the power of that Holy Spirit living inside of you. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Of course you're full of goodness. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not feel so good sometimes, but God, you must trust him because he gave you this gift. You must believe him that you are filled with this goodness and that you are, in, you are 
competent to instruct one another, no matter in what capacity you do that. The gospel is a truth, a grace, and a power beyond anything we can ever totally know. But we grow in it daily as we begin to see it as a rich resource, the source of which God himself never ends. It began before time, and it continues until there is no time, but it serves this time in our lives provisionally. I want to repeat that because sometimes we put the gospel in one place in time. So the gospel began before time and continues until there is no time, but it serves this time in our lives provisionally. So every day you must preach the gospel to yourself, some kind of gospel. Paul Tripp makes a very good point. He says, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. And you know what? Usually you listen to yourself more than you'll listen to somebody else, sometimes without even recognizing it. (laughs) So what is personal, what is powerful, needs the daily thoughtful flow into us to continually enrich and strengthen us, to fill us so that there is less room for our own natural thoughts and responses that we give to ourselves. Therefore, the gospel in Division 3 is practical because we are saved to the uttermost, saved to the utmost. The, The gospel is the utmost. It is by definition, the greatest and of highest degree. There is no end to its powerful work in every and all areas of our lives. It is practical because it's eternal life. The moment that we become a believer, we enter into the eternal life of God himself that he has given to us who have faith to believe. And this gospel becomes the counselors or the mothers or the wives or the child's, the believer's closest companion and and counselor. I just love the thought as a biblical counselor, but also a friend, a sister, a mom, and all of that. I love the fact that God provided me with a personal counselor, the Lord Jesus Christ's Holy Spirit, and that I can know that he resides in me as my counselor, always available 24-7 to counsel me when I am in any number of situations. So I want to share with you some of the ways that our counselor uses the gospel to counsel, advise, and encourage, and sustain us. In the area, um, there in the areas are the truths of the gospel. There's many. There's many facets to it. There's many parts of it. There's many areas where the gospel is sent out into the in from the word. 
But one of the things that I have found for myself personally and in reading these people who have presented the gospel to me, uh, my friends down here as I call them, is that the gospel can turn something negative in me to something positive. The gospel can provide correction when I'm thinking incorrectly or I am speaking incorrectly or I may be um, choosing to look at somebody with incorrect motives or thinking that I might even know their motives when sometimes I don't even understand the motives of my own heart. The gospel also, in, there's some part of the gospel that helps me to put off those things that God does not desire for me to have and instead to put on something that God wants me to have, that he can use in and through me. The gospel, because it is the power of God, can do those things. So the first thing, of course, that just raises its head often is pride. This is pride is when I'm just thinking about myself. I'm focused on myself. I can do something in myself because, my goodness, I know so much. And I just don't understand why you don't understand all this. And so then I can just get very prideful, very self-focused, and even think that I don't need God to help me. And then I'm reminded of how I even came to Christ at the beginning. I was a sinner, and I needed what he gave. Just reminding myself, you know, Rosemary, what you're dealing with right now, what you're looking down on somebody or situation, you're forgetting who you were when I saved you. You were a sinner. And... I was the one who showed you mercy because you were a pitiful person and you didn't even know all the things that you needed. But I came to you. And that, that is something that just moves my pride about myself and my abilities right off of myself and right back on to my Savior. It's very encouraging, very freeing, and seems to need to happen just about every other day. Criticism. Are any of you critical of yourselves? Do you ever feel like you just, uh, things like, well, I've made a mess of my own life, or I just sinned this morning. How in the world do I think I can help somebody else? How in the world could I possibly know what to do? Uh, Or I start thinking, Oh, okay, because I failed here, I need to to do this better. I need to pray more. I need to, and maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. But the work of the cross is what brings me to the throne of grace and mercy in my time of need as I'm beating myself up for something that may or may not be true. That's it. It could be something that I really am thinking and doing. But he says, listen. I came to show compassion to those lost and pitiful people. And right now, that's you. You need my compassion. You need to stop being so critical of yourself or someone else and just receive my compassion. 
It also helps, number three, to move me from self-righteousness to grace. Well, I find myself sometimes think self-righteousness, you know what that is? That means you think you are just fine and right in yourself. In, in myself, I'm just doing great. And so I look at somebody else and I think, well, I would just never do anything like that. I can't believe they're doing that. I would never do that. So what am I thinking? How was it that I was saved? By grace, God's great gift. That's what he gave me. And I need that continued grace to remember that my righteousness is not from myself or what I do, but my righteousness came from my Savior. That's part of the gospel. Despair. Here's something that is sneaky, and it's just thinking you're just not good enough. And you find yourself groaning. Uh, for me, it's frustrating. That's, that's my little clue. When I'm feeling frustrated inside, I'm usually in despair, probably because something didn't have the success that I wanted it to have, either for myself or a circumstance in my life. Then I think about these verses in Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You see, when I'm in despair, I'm weak. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. He knows our hearts. He knows what's causing this despair. He can see inside me because he's living inside of me. And so then he intercedes for me. And that indwelling Spirit of our Savior gives us his hope as he prays for us. When you feel like you're in despair, first of all, thank the Lord that you know he's praying for you. But also ask him to just encourage you, to move you from despair, from hope to hope. Because hope is the divine person's, the divine counselor's gift to us in the midst of despair. His praying for us, our remembering who, that he is praying for us is so helpful during those times. I am so thankful that my divine counselor is right with me all the time. And if I would just stop and not be discouraged, as it talks about in number five, lose my courage, out of courage, in a situation that I would be in such a different place and be able to do so much more and not be weakened by something that it can be strengthened in me. When we are out of courage, uh, we need to continue because the gospel says, in Christ I can because of what he's given to me. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 talks about God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Rosemary, what you're going through right now, this discouragement, this is part 
of God sanctifying you, making you more like Christ, more dependent on Christ than ever before. So God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, through our gospel, that you might share in the glories of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16 of that same passage says, May Jesus himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement, Now, that's the kind of encouragement I need. I need that kind of encouragement that never stops. It's always there, but I need to go to it like a rich resource. And then it goes on to say, gave us eternal encouragement and a bonus, good hope. Good hope, again, being brought up out of something that was a discouraging situation, a despairing situation, a weary situation. So encourage your hearts and, and to strengthen you in every good deed. Now weariness. Boy, I'll tell you what. It is easy to get weary. Weary in, in yes, in what you do for the Lord, but weary working with people Weary taking care of uh, a lot of small children at home and looking at a couple of you who I knew that. Weary with relationships, adults, believers who should be doing better and you live with them or you work with them and they're not doing any better and you keep giving them everything you've got and you get weary. And this is when I come to that wonderful verse that really got me on that pathway. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Did you, Jesus grow weary and lose heart? Not really. He endured. What, what does that mean? He endured. Did, did that mean he didn't care and he just said, well, you know, that's just the way those old sinful people are. I'm just going to go on. No. He, he had a passion about it. He has, his heart was concerned for them, but it wasn't as if he was weary and then incapacitated. No, he had endurance. And listen to this definition. It's just right out of the Webster's Dictionary. Endurance is the ability to withstand hardships or adversity, especially the ability to sustain a prolonged, stressful effort. Does, does that describe any of you in this room and anything you're doing? A prolonged, stressful effort. Jesus did. He did that. And he calls us to share in his perfect endurance. So when you're out of endurance, when you're feeling weary. It even says in places that in um, Colossians 1.28 that he gives us his energy, his energy to do these things that he has called us to do. But what about desperation? When that life, you want that life so bad without hardship and pain and suffering, 
for others, yourselves, your own sin, and, your, and there's desperation. When I try to give to myself or to something or somebody else, something that only Jesus promises to give, I find myself getting desperate. Because it is something that only God gives, but I'm trying to give it from my own self instead of using him and his way to do it. See, I can only pour out into another person's life what Jesus has already poured into mine or provided in mine. And nothing will make me more desperate than when I just keep hammering it away at something that they need so badly. And it's true, they do. But I'm trying to do it on my own terms. And it's this sometimes it just Jesus says, Move over, Rosemary. Let me be here, and I'll do this. Or he'll say, come along, Rosemary, and we will do this together. Because if you're feeling desperate, you don't have the peace that I have provided for you when I overcame the world. You're trying to overcome the world, Rosemary, and you're desperate. It's not your job. I overcame the world. We will together I will use you to do what I provide for you, and you can pour out what I provide. Failure. Yes, failure. Our Savior patiently and gently confronts us and reassures us of his overwhelming compassion, mercy, and grace when we have actually failed. You know when you've failed in your own sin or what you've wanted to do, what you wanted to accomplish, a way you wanted to help somebody else, and you failed. In 2 Corinthians, it says that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all comfort, beyond our ability to endure, that's that word again, and with great glory-giving purposes, comforts us. Twice since I have been counseling, my heart has been broken. And for a long time I felt I was a failure with these two people. I, um, I listed the things that I felt that I did wrong. And, but all along, as I prayed about it, I did. I said, Lord, show me where I have failed. Show me where I can do it better next time, but only pouring out what you provide, knowing that sometimes this is, uh, this is not all in my hands. It's really you that is doing the work that I desire, but it didn't go the way I wanted. There was not the success that I hoped for. And then I remember Jesus is called my consolation. And how did he console me? In almost audible words, but not really, just so much a truth in my mind and my heart, he said, I understand completely, Rosemary, because a lot of people that I've cared for have broken my heart too. But I endured. 
and I give you all my comfort through the indwelling Holy Spirit that I have given to you. And he will give you hope, and he will give you peace. So, yes, I understand. And it's kind of like dust. After a while, after several months of working through that, kind of dusting me off and setting me up and getting going again. But here's what happened in number nine. The accuser keeps popping his head in. He said, oh, and then there's just one more thing. You probably, you didn't notice, Rosemary, but you also did this. And when she said that, you didn't say this. Or when this happened, you, you didn't, or you did, or all that, and then on and on. And it just works overtime, that accuser. And so that's, he'll say things, that's the best that you can do when you even are sinning yourself. And so just, it's amazing how sneaky he gets in there and he gets into our mind and our heart, brings things to our memory, and then tweaks them just a little bit so it looks really bad. I love First John 2. It says, even if you sin, our Savior speaks to our Father on our behalf in our defense. Now, that's the kind of lawyer that I, you know those billboards that says, this lawyer, if you have this problem, he'll get tough in your face. He'll just beat that thing. He'll get this, that, and the other thing. Well, that's who Jesus is. He's my defense lawyer. And I need to be defended sometimes, and so do you. It's hard. It is hard. And especially when you have an accuser who wants to bring to your attention again where you have failed. He says, then he goes on to say in this first John passage, I am her atoning sacrifice for me. Remember this then when you're sinned against. And then another passage that I love that helps me so much is in Revelations 12:11. They overcame the accuser, as mentioned earlier, by the blood of the Lamb, the gospel, and by the word of their testimony, their own truth spoken into themselves and to others. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And folks, it does feel like death sometimes. When you fail, or someone that you wanted to help so much fails, when you see your kids failing and you try so hard doing, employing everything that God has given you and it feels like death. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And who did he say that to? He said it right into the face of the accuser. Because in that same verse, in John 10.10, he says to the accuser, you came, you came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to bring life. But Jesus won the victory, and he graciously shares it with all of us as we serve and share him with with ourselves and with others. So when I put down number 10 in a question mark, this is your homework. 
from now on, whenever you read the Bible, you're going to see after this class or you read any of this book, the word gospel is going to go boing. Look and see what it's there. Mark it with a special little marker. Pray about it. That when you see that word gospel or some teaching about the gospel, just stop and ask yourself, is there something here for me that I need to know, that I need to remember? Because there probably is. When you preach, this is a, a kind of a summary. When you preach the gospel to yourself, you're giving yourself the hope, grace, truth, mercy, comfort, and joy that is always you, always, always yours from your Savior, Redeemer, and Intercessor, your Gospel Mentor and Counselor. So the Gospel is the perfect companion. All through these materials now, uh, when I talk about the Gospel being perfect, the people who have instructed me about the gospel, there is a phrase that's sometimes like this. It's worded a little bit differently always, but I put it down there in, number, in part A. Peace fills my soul when I remember the truth of the gospel. I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe, more welcomed and loved than I ever dared hope. I deserve less than nothing, but have been given everything. Comforts from the cross. So it's kind of like Paul, what he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's the short course. The other course for this is the rest of your life. <laughs> I hope you might even start a little uh, booklet or a journal of what you learn about the cross. I brought a few of the things here along some of the suggested resources here. Uh, I wanted you to see comforts of the cross because sometimes our lives are busy Look how little this book is, 30 days, you know, a page and a half maybe or something like that, and a prayer. Counsel from the Cross, Carol Ann talked about that yesterday afternoon or evening, and it's, uh, it's a little meatier but very practical, lots of good things in here. Here's Paul David Tripp's New Morning Mercies. Does anybody need a mercy every morning? Yes, and in just in case you want to know how it's delivered, this is how it's delivered. Um, Gospel Treason. This is a book. It's not on there. It's a book by Brad Bigney, and it's also a, a CD series that you can walk. It has a workbook that goes with it. It is excellent material because it helps you root out the idols in your life that are taking up a little bit of maybe the Holy Spirit in your life. So he's really good at helping you get some stuff out so there's more room for the gospel. And um, then a uh, CD series by Milton Vincent, who wrote Gospel Primer, the little book that I handed out at the beginning. It's called Evangelizing Those Who Wrong You. And the unique thing about this is they have a situation come up, 
And he, this man, Milton Vincent, and his counseling staff take this couple that are in a terrible, terrible place, and he takes them or what he calls a 360 around the cross. And how God uses the cross to restore some people in the amazing circumstances of life. So let me pray and thank you very much for listening. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for these people who have brought this concept more clearly into our lives of the gospel. How important it is for us to live our daily lives from first to last with the power that you have given us in Christ. But most of all, Lord, we thank thank you that this gospel comes from you to us and is with us always once we believe, as we put our faith in you and look to you for the power that raised Jesus from the dead to be operative in our lives, in the dead areas of our lives, in the areas of our lives that are failures and frustrating and discouraging you have a gospel message from your son to us personally delivered in your word. And we just thank you so much for that. And so we pray in our great Savior and Redeemer's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.